Are you sensing a theme here? I just want to read something here that, that just, just uh, because it just grips me when I, when I sing this or when I see it on the page. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power. For the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, love to um, read testimonies of people. I think you know that if you've been around me enough. And uh, I like to read the stories of how God has just used, uh, worked in people's lives or stories of how uh, these people, uh, maybe some people who have been faithful to God, regardless of the circumstances that they sometimes find themselves in, that they are just true and, and, and devoted to Him. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I believe that in reading the testimonies of faithful servants, that that gives us a true picture of how God, or how it gives us a true picture of how to ourselves be faithful to, to God. It gives us a, something that we can look at and it, it inspires us and it, it spurs us on. And just, uh, but I also think it gives us a true picture of how amazing God is, how good He is. I read a testimony here. It's, it's been a while back, but I got some of these things. I collect them and I put them on my computer and, and, it, and uh, so they stick around for a little while and then all of a sudden I kind of going through something and there it pops up and I forgot I didn't use that and so on. But uh, the, the testimony was by a fellow by the name of Al Braca. That probably doesn't mean much to you. You probably haven't heard that before. Maybe you have, but um, doubtful. But Al was a bond broker for a high-powered brokerage firm that was located on the 104th floor of the World Trade Center. And on the morning of September 11th, 2001, phone calls were made, emails were sent, they began to go out from the 104th floor of Tower One. And many of them just simply said that a man was praying. And that man was Al Braca. Al was a fellow, uh, I, I don't know if it, it may be too strong to say that he hated his job. Uh, the articles that I've read that for some is that he he basically didn't really care much for his job, and he, he, he tolerated it. He, but what, we, what I understand from all of that is that he didn't like where he had to work. It was a, it was a, a high um, stakes, um, busy, uh, tough business, uh, cutthroat business. Um, but Al stayed in that job because he believed that that's where God wanted him to be, that he was to be salt and light in the midst of darkness. And when it became apparent on that particular morning that they were not getting out of the tower alive, something that Al did is he gathered all of the people on that floor together, and he gathered them around him, and he began to, to simply share the gospel with them and to pray with them just before the tower collapsed. And if you ever, if I, I've got something at home, it's a, it's a thing that you could, uh, if you're interested in reading his testimony, it's just an amazing testimony because it goes into a lot more detail than I'm going to share with you this morning, but it's, it's amazing. But 
I think that that sounds a bit like this statement that we're going to be looking at here in Mark chapter 1 this morning when Jesus says, that's why I came. When I look at his testimony, I, I see that same connection that, of Jesus saying, that's why I came. And if you want to look, it's just a few short verses in this little section there, starting with verse number 35 in Mark chapter 1. It begins to, to capture, I think, something of the heart of Jesus, um, the heart of who Jesus is, the heart of why he came. The, I think the context of this here is really simple. It's the context of just great busyness. And Jesus had, been, had this long day, and he's running around. He's healing people. He's, he's gone to Peter's, mother, Peter's mother-in-law's home. He's, gone, he's had supper. The, the crowd comes crushing back on him and to this house, and he's up until late in the evening. And it just says, that's what it says, and it, but he's still performing these healings. And and then in verse 35, it says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. That is why I have come. You see, Jesus understood what he was here for. And that is something that drove him in, in every direction that he went. It's him, it really is a simple principle, I think, that we're following this morning and it sounds a lot like this. It sounds like understanding our mission determines our direction. Understanding our mission determines our direction. It's not a hard thing to understand when you, when you know where you're supposed to be going, right? That helps you to decide which way you should turn. It, it, it's kind of like this. The church is not called to be popular the church is called to be obedient. And there's some things that I think that we learn about who we are as a people, as the, as the body of Christ in this particular place, New Life Christian Church. I'd suggest to you that when I look at this story about Jesus, I would reach this conclusion. That mission means resisting the popular thing in order to do the right thing. Mission means resisting the popular thing in order to do the right thing. You see that here. Look at Jesus in this particular text. If you look back at, at verse number 28, I mean, just a few verses before, it says that news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Or just jump down to verse number 33, and you see there it says the whole town gathered at the door. Or verse 37, move down a little bit more. Everyone is looking for you. Do you hear that? It's the call of popularity. Jesus was doing what people wanted. And, and, and you have to know that there was a temptation, I think, to, to continue to do that. He knew. He knew that he knew what was coming when he changed directions. He knew that if, if he kept on doing the popular course of healing and meeting people's immediate felt needs, that, that everything would just be wonderful. People would love him. People 
would follow him. In fact, they would flock to him it's, if that's what he wanted. And yet what you hear him saying down in verse number 38 is, let's go somewhere else so that I can preach because that's why I came. It wasn't popularity that was driving him. It was mission that was driving him. It wasn't, it wasn't doing the popular thing that, that drove him on his ministry course. It was doing the right thing. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a nation. He is quoted as saying, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Consensus asks, is it popular? Courage asks, is it right? That's really the question. Are we doing the right thing? And it's, it, it's a challenge, I think, isn't it? Because you and I, we are tempted at every single turn to do the popular thing. Maybe, maybe the temptation is to, to simply take the easy route. Maybe the temptation is to, to somehow to, it's, it's, it, to cheat or something like that. Or maybe the temptation is to fudge the numbers just a little bit. Or maybe the temptation is just to go along with the crowd. Maybe the, te- well, I, I don't know what it is for you, but I, here's what I do know. It is a lot harder to do the right thing in our world than it is to do the popular thing. And that's really the challenge, I think, that we face as a church, trying to decide what's the right thing to do versus what's the popular thing to do. And I think about that in the context of what we do here. I think, I think about that in the context of our worship. Now, you know, we, we, we don't have a big band, and we don't have all the fancy instruments yet. But my prayer is that someday that we will have more and more people using their gifts to lead us in worship. And, 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 but outside of that, more and more people to lead us in, in, in various areas of ministry. But what I do know is that the purpose of our worship is to bring each and every one of us into the presence of God. And that is, and then it's also up to each one of us. I do know this. It's also up to each and every one of us to seek God's presence and to worship Him with everything that we have. Coming into this place with an attitude that wants to worship God is, is important. I think it's a similar thing with preaching. I... I, I don't know if you know this. I, I assume that we all do. But the goal, well, at least my goal, isn't to preach an every, uh, a message every week that everyone wants to hear. That's, I hope that's not a shocker. I, I, I'm not, my goal is not to preach something that somehow makes us go out of here feeling better every Sunday. The goal for me, the goal for our congregation is that we open up the Word of God, and allow that Scripture to drive our lives. That's the goal of Scripture. That's the goal of preaching. See, the goal of our Sunday experience isn't to get everybody to like Sunday morning, though though I hope you do. But what we want to have have happen here each and every week is for everyone to engage in worship, 
to engage in, in discipleship, in fellowship with one another. We want to we wanna challenge one another and, and to, to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But see, the question is, are we going to do the right things? Or are we going to do the popular things? A hundred years ago, Soren Kierkegaard, the uh, Danish philosopher, preacher, said that we are entering the age of the crowd. And so we send our children off to the party with this advice. Look and see what the others are doing and then behave like them. You know what? That's where we're at in 2019. I don't know how he knew 100 years ago that that's where we would be. But that is where we are. We line up, we follow the crowd rather than doing the right thing. I don't know if you heard about this missionary recruit that went to Venezuela for the first time. There was a fellow that was really, really struggling with the language. He didn't understand a whole lot of what was going on. Well, he was on his way to church, um, wanted to attend church on Sunday, and he's, but he got lost. But eventually he found the church, and as it turns out, he, he arrived late, and, and, and the church was already packed, and the only pew left was the one, is what, the one in the front row. And as you can possibly imagine, this, he didn't want to make a fool of himself, so he picked someone in the crowd that he might follow. He chose the man sitting next to him in the pew. And as they sang, the, the man clapped and his hands, and so he clapped too, and just kept watching him. When the man stood up, then he stood up too. When the man sat down, he sat down too. And, and uh, during the communion, when the man held the cup and the bread, he held the cup and the bread. And, and uh, during the preaching, the recruit didn't understand a thing. He just sat there, and he tried to look like, like that man that was sitting there right in the front pew. And then he realized that, oh, this must be announcements that looked like maybe possibly that this preacher was giving announcements. And so people clapped, and so he looked uh, to see if the, the man was clapping, and he was, so he clapped too. And, and then the preacher said some words that he didn't understand, and he saw the man next to him stand up, and so he stood up too. And, and suddenly a hush fell over the whole congregation. In fact, a, a few people even gasped, just like, oh! He looked around and he saw that nobody else was standing, and so he sat down. Well, after the service, the preacher stood at the door and he was shaking hands with those who were leaving. And when the missionary recruit stretched out his hand to greet the, the preacher, he, uh, the preacher said in, in English, he said, I take it you don't speak Spanish. And the recruit said, well, you know, no, I don't. Is it that obvious? And he said, well, yeah. I announced that the Acosta family had a newborn, newborn baby boy and with the proud Father, please stand up. <laughs> but it's, it's the temptation, isn't it? I think. If somebody does one thing, we want to do what they do. That everyone just kind of follows suit with, we just kind of followed along. And, well, um, some of you might get this, but I, I, it's, the Bible says we are sheep. Sheep follow one another. There's an image over there, and so we just kind of just follow what the other one does over and over and over. That's what sheep do. We, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. But see, an uncommon disciple, as we talked about last week, an uncommon disciple 
does the right thing. Not the popular thing, but the right thing. Well, Jesus, I think, also demonstrates this for us. That mission means rejecting the moment to fulfill the mission. Mission means not only resisting the popular thing in order to do the right thing, but it also means rejecting the moment to fulfill the mission. And see, what, what he was doing was, what Jesus was doing was popular. And there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's, it's not just that it was, it was popular, though, it, but it was actually meeting needs. It wasn't that he was just doing what everybody liked. He was doing something, I think, that was valuable, very valuable. He was healing people, and he was helping people, and he was, he was changing some things about people's lives. And, and it's not that Jesus stopped doing that entirely, but, but did you hear what he said? I'm going to go preach because that's why I came. In fact, if you, if you look back to verses 14 and 15 in this text, uh, it's, uh, it's some verses that we read last week, but he'll tell you why he came to preach. He says right there that he came to preach the good news. And he came to preach repentance, and he came to preach belief in God, that, and, and, and belief in the good news, and, and somehow God would act in people's lives and make an eternal difference. He didn't come to give us a momentary fix, but an eternal one. I forgot I was going to bring my, my uh, little series on Chronicles of Narnia, but several years ago, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books. How many are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? A series of seven books uh, uh, that he had. The sixth book in that series is called The Magician's Nephew. Um, well, actually, chronologically, it's the first, and there's this great debate over C.S. Lewis and Narnia fans and things like that, which book should be read first. And C.S. Lewis, when he was alive, actually got into a little bit of that argument and kind of shared some things, but there's still some others the chron- or the, uh, who, who are always uh, more concerned about the, the fact of when it was published and that's how they should be. And, and anyway, you don't need to hear all that. I always thought that The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe was the first one, uh, and some would argue, no, it's not. It was the sixth to be published. So I'm I'm trying to help you with where I'm going with that. It's the sixth to be published, um, but The Magician's Nephew is the one that really sets up the story. So they kind of go through five books, and then they kind of go back and then set things up, and it's just... Um, but anyway, the, 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 the incredible thing about this, and, and, and listen closely to this, um, Diggory has to go at Adel, Aslan's command. Diggory, he's one of the characters. He has to go at Aslan, the Christ figure, the, the lion, this, this, uh, this, like, as I said, the Christ figure. He has to go at Aslan's command to the valley off into the far regions, and he has to get an apple. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess it's an apple. It's, it's a uh, piece of fruit from, from the tree behind the wall. You got a picture of that? I think I do. Maybe. Did it show up? Oh, there it is. So you kind of get, there's, yeah, there's Magician's Nephew. So um, they do have, uh, they're trying to get an apple anyway. Um, I guess they didn't put the right one up, but... Anyway, he has to get that apple. Uh, it's, it's that, that 
fruit from behind the behind the, the wall. And when he gets there, he picks the fruit and he puts it in his pocket. And then the witch that has that he has been responsible for releasing begins the temptations. See, Diggory's mom is ill, and one bite of the fruit would heal her. And so he says to himself, you know, haven't I done what I was supposed to do? I, I, I got the fruit for Apple, or I'm, I'm sorry, I got the fruit for Aslan. What if I took another one and put it in my pocket and took it home to mom? I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm reading books and I get into some of these things, I get so wrapped up with what I'm reading, and I'm just like, I'm just sitting there going, Diggory, don't do it. No, don't. <laughs> do you get involved with me reading like that? But in a moment, there's this recognition when he walks through the golden gate beyond the wall with only one piece of fruit in his pocket. There's this recognition that he has made the choice to do that which is eternal, not that which is momentary. But see, it's always the temptation in our life to do that which has just that, that immediate response, but doesn't necessarily accomplish that which has long-term benefit. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples of that. I, I just think that that is the problem with, with divorce in America is, is, is that it is so easy. It's so, well, I mean, it's, it's not easy for those who are going through it. I know, and, and, and it's, it's devastating. And we want to be a church that ministers to people who have gone through that. But my point is this, we've made it so easy in our culture. Here just a couple weeks ago, we mourned again the decision that was made on January 22nd of 1973. They actually have a, a website that shows the, the count as, as it grows. And, but 61 million infants have been aborted in America since that day. See, abortion is a momentary fix. It takes care of a problem now. But nobody ever talks about the long-term devastation to the person, the long-term devastation to the family. Because, see, the temptation in American culture especially and the American church is to do that which provides a momentary fix but doesn't give something that has eternal consequences. See, that's why I believe it is so important for us in the church to, to model strong marriages within the church. It's why I believe that Bible study is so important and, and that we're getting in that together and experiencing that together so, so that we learn about these eternal issues, not just those momentary ones that the, the world is cramming and pushing and, and shoving into our brains and our minds and our hearts every single day. See, the church shouldn't just be interested in what happens today. Or what fixes the problem for a little while? No, we want to reach out into a world with the gospel that has this power to change people's lives eternally. And so Jesus would model for us that, uncom that, that un uncommon disciples do the eternal thing, even if it's painful 
for the moment. And then finally, mission. Mission also means renouncing the safe to accomplish the significant. Renouncing the safe to accomplish the significant. You know, Jesus could have stayed in Capernaum where his family was, where his friends were, where the synagogue was that he loved to, uh, or he found comfort there in preaching. And, and the temptation, I think, is always, isn't it, it is, is to be safe, to stay in that comfort zone of, of, of ours. And, and yet he said, I didn't come to do that. I came to preach, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go to Galilee, he said. And the, and the rest of, of, of that early ministry of Jesus' life is, is all around Galilee. I, I really think that's significant. I don't think that was by accident, because Galilee is this place where both Jew and Gentile resided. It's this cosmopolitan area. It's, it, it's the place where he had, he had to interact and, 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 and mingle with all kinds of different kinds of people as if he were saying, I didn't just come here for the Jews. I came here for the world. It's easy for the church to be safe. It's easy for us not to stretch ourselves and to, to reach out to people outside of, uh, of our comfort zone. You know, don't go so far. Don't talk to a stranger. Don't open a door to the world. And yet, we know this. The, 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 the world needs to hear the gospel. One of my favorite authors is a fellow by the name of John Grisham. Some of you are familiar maybe with some of his works. I've I've read most of them, probably haven't, I haven't had time lately to read his last two or three, but up until that point I had read every single one of his. And the first book that he wrote was a, was a book, uh, it was entitled uh, A Time to Kill. I think outside of some of his nonfiction and then there was a couple of children's things that he did, it's the only one that doesn't start out with, uh, with the, um, the, the something. Um, but I read somewhere that that when that first came out, that he, anybody know John Grisham? I mean, well, not personally, but do you, are you familiar with him? Pretty popular. Um, he's making a lot more money than any of us, probably all of us all together, I'm sure. Um, but I, I read somewhere that that, it, that, that first book of his, um, it only sold 5,000 copies when it came out. Not exactly a bestseller. Um, sometime later, he wrote another one, and this certainly wasn't the next one exactly, but he wrote another one called The Firm. Anybody heard of that? Um, and that sold 7 million copies as soon as it hit the stand. But do you know what they say what the difference was? It wasn't advertising because they both were non-advertised books. It was this. People liked the firm and they told their friends. Do you hear that in the context of the church? Doing that which has eternal consequence. I, I, I love our church. I, I, just, I, I told you last week that, that you are my family. And I mean that with all my heart. I just love being around all of you. Some of you know that there has been some some struggles in my biological family. I really don't understand it. I'm not going to get into the details with you. 
But I will say this, for the life of me, I, I don't understand, I don't know why people can't just sit down and talk and resolve their differences in a loving way. And I don't know why some people on the outside need to get involved in other people's affairs and, and complicate things. I do know that I have been carrying a heavy burden for some time. And the hardest part is that I truthfully do not know where my mom and where my siblings are spiritually. I covet your prayers for that. That's my greatest concern in all of this is that I have a mom and a sister and brother who at the very least are not acting godly. But I know that at least for my brother, Jesus is not Lord of his life. I know, I also know that for that reason, that is why this body is so valuable to me. Because as I said last week, the same blood may not flow through our veins, but the same blood washes over each of our souls. And I want everyone, I want every single person who looks upon the life, looks upon New Life Christian Church to see what I see. And, and, and my challenge to all of us is, 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 is not to let what's happening here be a secret, but to look and to see what God is doing and to get excited about what, uh, about what He's doing. Don't dwell on the fact that God hasn't done certain things yet. Focus on what He has done. Focus on what He has the ability to do. What is it? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. God is ably able to do things beyond, his, uh, beyond our ability. I, I love the, the, the I forget what all that, uh, how that all, but it's just this, this almost redundancy that he's ably able to in his ability. That one word, that's what it means. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or, not, or imagine according to his power that is worked within us, in his church and in Christ Jesus. So don't dwell on what God hasn't done, but focus on what He has done and what He can do in 2019. My other challenge for this year is this. Let's not get comfortable. We simply cannot get comfortable where we are at. We, we have a mission in this community. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Him known. To know Christ, is it, it, that's, that's people stepping out of their comfort zone and saying, you know what, I want to know Jesus better. I will do whatever it takes. It may not be in the comfort zone, in, in my comfort zone to make that kind of decision, but I'm going to make that kind of decision. And I think practically speaking, it's, it's, it's about getting into, those, those, into God's Word. It's about getting into the studies, it's into fellowship, into service, into worship, doing what it takes to pull people around us and to grow to the next level in our faith. And then the second part of that mission is to make Christ known. It's, and that's the, it's, a, it's a stepping out of our comfort zone and inviting people and, 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 and engaging in people's lives, those people around us, inviting them to come so that they can get to know Jesus. See, I think God is doing some great things here. And, and for, for that, we need to honor Him. And, and we never want to get so comfortable with what we, what we are doing that, that it doesn't stretch our sense of mission who we are, where we're going, what we are accomplishing for God. See, knowing who you are determines your direction. Understanding your mission sets a church 
in a right order. See, the church is not called to be a popular place. The church is called to be an obedient place where people listen to what God is trying to call them to, to become and to do. And so new life will always have its, as its direction its face toward God in worship, our faces toward Christ in discipleship, our faces toward the world in outreach, our faces toward one another in fellowship and accountability. And every week we need to be asking ourselves, which way are we facing? Which crowd am I following? One last thing and then we'll, we'll quit. In the last battle, a picture of that up on the screen too, the last battle in, is it's the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. The dwarves have decided that they're not on anybody's side. They're only on their side. The dwarves are for the dwarves. And when it appears that the Calamenes are winning, they shoot the Calamenes. And when it appears that the Narnians are winning, they shoot the Narnians. And when the battle is over and they're gathering in a little group, they're, they're facing each other in a huddle. And Aslan, the Christ figure, is trying to get them to look around and see the possibilities of what heaven could be like if they would just open themselves up to him. And then pretty soon it's, it's Peter and Lucy and Diggory and Polly. And they're all trying to get their attention. In fact, one of the children reaches down and takes, uh, takes the cool grass of Narnia and places it in, into the face of, of, of the dwarves. And, and all they feel is the rough straw of the dirty stable. And there's a meal set with, with rich food and with fine wines. And, 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 they, and they take it to the dwarves and they give it to them. And, and the dwarves accuse them of feeding them trash. And when they invite them to turn around and to look at what God has created for them, all they can see are brown stable walls. And so as everybody else walks off westward, further out and further up. The dwarves sit in a little group looking at each other and mourning their fate because they're not looking in the right direction and they are unwilling to be obedient. You see what Christ invites us to every week. It, it's not to sit and to look at ourselves. And certainly it's not to sit and to, and to stare at the world. <coughs> what Christ invites us to is to turn around and to see what God has, has to offer us in Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge, I think, is for you and me to turn around and to, to see what God has to offer you in Jesus and to make a decision to follow him alone. Would you pray with me? God, I am excited for this new year, and I am excited for what you do and for your sovereignty, for, your, for who you are. And God, we, just, we give all honor and glory to you today. And as I prayed before, we ask that you would bless this year, as, um, that you would be in front of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Should we do that?
Um, I realize that, sorry about that. Um, the, um, do we want to do this right now? Just, it'll take a couple minutes, is that what we want to do? Basically, we have to have someone to record this real quick. It'll just be somebody who, want, who, who can record, who, who makes a motion. Or uh, No, we're just doing it up and down, aren't we? That's right. Yeah, so we have to we have to have somebody record that that was made and and so on and so forth. Um, quickly, I'll mention something about this, then we'll sing our last song and, and leave. Um, I just want to make a couple of, of things that to to your aware uh, to make you be aware of. Um, there's an inflated uh, um, part in here in terms of our building maintenance. I think we all know this. In June of last year, we had a water leak in our congregation. And we had to repair the plumbing in the church. The cost of that project was right around $3,000. And uh, obviously, thanks to the generosity of, of you who have helped to, to, uh, to donate to that cause, and we appreciate that. That's why that number is inflated. It also, we also had some furnace issues earlier than that. Um, that, that I think that was right around $1,000. That those, I, I was looking through all your notes, Carol, to, to find what those figures were, but um, right around $1,000. So there's, there was an additional number of things that were, were there that we weren't uh, expecting. And um, we also had a couple of some problems with the toilet where it ran and it ran and ran, and we got a big, some big, um, some big, uh, um, oh, what do they call it, uh, water bills. So um, that's all part of, of that inflated utility parts as well. Um, youth, I just want to make you aware of something. Youth, most of our, the youth expenses were donated for 2018. That's why it shows that not a lot went out for youth. I always cringe when I see that because it looks like we're not spending any, and, and yet there's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, all, most of all, of, most all of uh, the things that have been for our youth have been donated. Um, t telephone costs were lower. I would say this because of our new lighting, um, LED lighting. We're expecting to have uh, at least. We're expecting our our electricity to go down. I don't know how much that will be. That'll be certainly to be determined. But that's a, a blessing thing like that. Um, other than that, I just wanted to present that before you. Um, and any other thing that you want to add to clarify anything that we see here? Otherwise, everything is is uh, um, it's a little bit our. Our newly bud budgeted monthly average will be slightly lower than it was last year by about 400 bucks a month, according to this, what we have. Part of that is because Al is renting from us, too. So, Joe, did you have anything else to add? That so I will, uh, do you want to do this? You want me to do it? All right. Okay, up or down vote. All those in favor uh, for approving our 2019 proposed budget, uh, raise your hand. And all those opposed to, uh, to our 2019 budget, raise your hand. Okay, who's recording? Um, this needs to be read down. So uh, make it be known that unanimously the 2019 budget passed. Um, all right, let's uh, sing our closing song. Thank you for staying a little bit later. I'm sorry for that. Um, um, appreciate that. But anyway, let's let's uh, let's just stand and let's uh, sing uh, just that chorus that we were singing earlier. Um, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
stay warm this week. I hear it's going to get colder again. God bless. Have a great week. And What's that?